Episode 113, Spirituality, Medicine, and Weight Loss with Dr. Dan Cuckle. Welcome to the School of Weight Loss podcast, where we empower you to reach your healthy weight goals with less wasted effort, money, and time. This is the podcast that uses evidence-based tips and tools to simplify weight loss for the ladies who've tried it all. If you struggle with obesity or being overweight, you're tired of endless dieting and never reaching your goals and just plain tired with life, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, obesity medicine certified physician, life and weight loss certified coach, Dr. Emily Vinzant. Let's get this episode started. Hello, my lively ladies. It's so funny to me because when I first started the podcast, I said I was going to interview a bunch of experts and it really hasn't turned out that way for me with this podcast, mainly because I don't really know that there's that much interesting to add to the conversation, (laughs) but this is an exception. And so I giggled a little when I said, I've got an expert on the show this week. And I want you to just know that I don't take these interviews lightly. If I've got somebody on here, it's because I think they have something that is going to be very worthwhile for us all to hear. Dr. Dan Cuckle is a family medicine and functional medicine physician with the U.S. Navy. He practices with the Navy. And I'll tell you, I've got one article from the AAFP journal, the American Association of Family Physicians journal, that is yellow, that is highlighted, and that has sat on my desk since it first came out. And it is the article that Dr. Dan Cuckle wrote with some of his teammates on the spiritual assessment and medicine. It came out for me at a time when I had seen my ladies getting better weight loss results by incorporating a spiritual aspect to their fasting and creating results that they couldn't create without it. Yet the doctor in me was like, there has to be a separation. And it was funny because it was almost like my ladies were coaxing me to introduce more and more spirituality into our coaching. (laughs) Obviously, we've come a long way. But when I thought of someone I would love to hear more from, it was Dr. Dan Cuckle. And so I'm so thrilled to have him on the podcast today to share with us kind of what brought him to this space of looking at the spiritual assessment in medicine, what tools are very helpful. And I think of so much importance, how if you are a physician to speak in a way that's connected with your physician about this, and how if you are a healthcare provider to speak to your patients and other people in your community about the connection we can all create through a shared goal in spirituality, medicine, and weight loss. So I introduce you and I welcome Dr. Dan Cuckle. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. My name is Dan Cuckle. I'm a family physician and currently serving on active duty in the Navy. I'm stationed in Jacksonville, Florida, where uh, I'm currently serving as a director for medical services for the Naval Hospital. And I am also faculty in the family medicine residency program here in Jacksonville, I should say upfront that uh, the views I express in this podcast uh, are my own and not necessarily that of the United States government, Department of Defense, the United States Navy. I love that because where I found Dr. Cuckle to begin with, he and his team wrote an article. And I just love also that it came from a group of physicians working in a naval hospital about the spiritual assessment um, for medicine. For me personally, you know, I, I think you and I both have seen 
Spiritual assessments used more by chaplains in the hospital at end of life care type of uses of spiritual assessments and introducing spirituality. For me, it was kind of like, you know, the checkbox, I will say in an outpatient world of like, okay, we need to know if potentially they're Jehovah's Witness, so we don't give them blood products, right? Right. right? That was kind of the history I knew of it. But as I got further and further into my obesity medicine world and all of the specifics kind of that that run in that world, I have found more and more and more use for spirituality and the incorporation of it, maybe in as much of the wellness world as in the illness world. And so when I saw your article that you wrote, and it was, it's been over a year ago now, I think I looked it up, it was October of 2022. When I saw your article, I had mentioned to Dr. Kuckel when I asked him to come on the podcast that that article to me was like, it spoke to everything that I was seeing in my obesity medicine world already. And I it gave me sort of a sense of feeling freedom, maybe to start incorporating this in in new ways. And so I appreciated your article. And I've been so excited to have you come on the podcast, because I would love to kind of get your thoughts and hear your experience of using it as someone who's done a lot of research and knows a lot about how this works. So I'd like to start by just kind of asking you what piqued your interest into studying more of the spiritual assessment in medicine? Well, sure. Um, I think back to when this opportunity came about, it was really in the midst of COVID that this particular topic was advertised through American Family Physician, which is the journal that it was uh, eventually published in. And I am uh, a consumer and now writer in the journal. Uh, but that that particular journal is one that really helped me through medical school, really helped me to become a family physician. And when they advertised that this is a topic they wanted to really readdress, because I, I knew the author from uh, 2012 was a mentor of mine in medical school and uh, and later in residency, um, Dr. Aaron Segill, who's now at the University of Florida. I knew he had written the previous version of this 10 years ago. And so I was really excited when I had the opportunity uh, to uh, apply for it. I, I put in my name that this is the one that I really wanted to uh, to address if I could. And I also, think about that time and, and why it had meaning to me is uh, in the midst of COVID, I was finding that teaching residents during COVID when there were so many unknowns and, and so many barriers to our ability to communicate and connect with our patients. So I can remember uh, one of the, the two co-authors, um, Dr. Dustin Smith, he's the program director uh, in the residency program here, and then uh, Dr. Andre Jones, he was one of the residents, he later became chief resident. I remember about the time that uh, this opportunity came about, I remember seeing Dr. Jones on the inpatient ward, and he came out from, from seeing a patient, and it was a time that I wouldn't necessarily have expected uh, a resident uh, to be around me. It was later in the evening. I was still at the hospital, and I noticed that he had just developed this rapport with with the patient. He knew about the patient's family. He knew about uh, what the patient's worries were, and even as he was exiting, was talking about those things. And uh, I I could uh, see him out of the corner of my eyes. I was over in the workstation. And it was that kind of rapport that really struck me about what I was trying to accomplish by applying to do this, this article rewrite, uh, especially in 2022, 
And at the time, it was probably 2021. It was really the height of COVID for, for Florida. In particular, I think it was August 2021 was when we had the worst wave come through Jacksonville, where many of the hospitals were beyond capacity. Uh, in our own hospital, we had m- more patients than than um, than I've seen in, in a long time in our ward. And I remember specifically several COVID patients that um, really didn't have the opportunity to connect with family members. Um, they might have had an opportunity to connect with a chaplain. They might not have. But I often found myself in the position when I was rounding where myself and the nurse and the resident might be the only three people that they were seeing on any kind of regular basis. And during those conversations, uh, it became clear that uh, with COVID, I didn't have all of the answers that they needed in that moment. I didn't. I didn't know the prognosis. Uh, we certainly knew the diagnosis, but but the the prognosis was uh, a question mark in many cases. And as as those questions uh, led to more and more questions, I realized that in in many cases the faith of the patient. Uh, they brought it up to me. At, at one point, I can even remember a patient saying, "Would, would you pray with me?" And it was from that context, I remember very vividly that this article became such a meaningful and purposeful opportunity for me. Yes, it's so true. I mean, I think we want to connect to the whole human, but as physicians, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes to bring up that discussion. I found that in my coaching groups. It's so funny because so many of my ladies were saying, you know, there's a little bit of a faith component to this. And I was hesitant to say I was comfortable with that. Because I think, you know, varying degrees, and I I was rereading your article earlier, and I thought, yes, because, you know, there's so many spaces for us where we may have been trained differently, and we may feel like we can or can't relate to the faith. I liked your word spirituality, and um, Dr. Cuckle defines in the article that he chose the word, we choose the word spirituality, because it's a little less, um, maybe, what what's the word you used for it? How would you uh, describe it? I, I- Try to make space with the word spirituality that it was most open to interpretation uh, and and most open to uh, the ability of the person to to connect with the word. Uh, perhaps um, when you think of spirituality, you might think of religion. Uh, you might think of God. You might think of uh, many different religions, but you might also think about things like connection with nature and art and music that brings people meaning and purpose. And and that is what I was really trying to be open to that connection in the article, while recognizing there's still a need in the literature search to define that word that you're trying to gather data and be able to make evidence-based decisions so that we and our colleagues can enact that in our practice. Yes, that's such a great point, because I feel like I'm a little bit drawn to the word faith. I like the word faith over religion, but I really loved your choice of the word spirituality because so many people, so I am a coach as well as a physician. And so many people I hear in the coach world talk about the universal spirit or kind of in psychology, talk about the universal spirit. And I always say, for me, that's all God, but that's my version of it. Right. And I think sometimes people even get turned off by that. And as physicians, we get a little afraid to bring up the topic because we think it's us coming from a place of authority that it may feel like to the other person inappropriate. And you even discussed that in your article, I saw. That was something we as the authors discussed at length was uh, also how to make space for uh, the readers um, of this article 
to determine, you know, thinking about their place, their role as a physician in addressing this. We found, uh, we actually found a study out of, I believe it was Scotland, that went into how physicians see themselves in these roles. And it went everything from those who do not address it at all and do not feel comfortable doing so, all the way on the spectrum to physicians who will are, are willing to pray with their patients. And and we we wanted to at least give some numbers behind that, so so that it really does at least allow the reader to know that this is something patients definitely are thinking about. And that was one thing that was clear to me from from doing the research on this that patients are often thinking about it, especially in times of of significant change in their health uh, or in their significant change of their family's health. Um, but there, there is a wide gap between how much they're thinking about it and how much it's actually addressed by their physician. Yes, yes. I think because I, I like this and I had talked to Dr. Cook a little bit about, I like the idea for physicians as well as for patients. This podcast reaches kind of a bit of both. And so how we use this, my word for the year is authentic connection. How do we use this for authentic connection? So I wanted to ask you a little bit about the research, because to me, one of the things I loved about your article was so there were actually numbers put behind something that has felt kind of maybe more mystical or, or, you know, I don't even know what the right word I want to use for that is, but I love that, you know, where you say 87% of Americans believe in God or a God-like figure in their life. And I loved some of the statistics that you shared in there to support kind of where we all do connect there. So tell me in the research, and I know a lot of this research has been around hospice, end of life care, cancer treatments. What does the research say about where we do all connect on spirituality? Oh, that is a really good question and probably going to be a <laughs> difficult one for me to answer. I I think the research demonstrated to me that gap and the desire to connect by patients uh, in this realm and the ability or at least reports of physicians actually addressing this in their practice. I think there was also at least recommendations, but they're all kind of of the ABCs. They were like C-rated uh, recommendations, really. Expert opinion, consensus guidelines, but you're not really going to find... Um, randomized placebo-controlled trials on uh, things related to uh, spiritual assessment, because it is in a very different realm and one that's hard to say. You've got a control group and an experimental group, and you're going to see what different outcomes. There are so many variables that go into uh, how we perceive spirituality. And I think that is what led me at the beginning of the article. I kept thinking, how do I start this article? What's the first thing that I want to say about this that very first sentence? And what I noticed in researching this and in discussing with my fellow authors um, was that it was relationships that were really the common denominator in, in what I felt was the real power behind this topic. And it is the ability to grow relationship. And to me, that's what family medicine is. Family medicine is the only specialty in medicine that's named after relationship unit, the family unit. It's not named after a disease process and it's not named after an organ. It is really named after family. We are experts in how to help someone in their health in the context of their relationships, their family in particular. And to me, that was the take-home message that I wanted to start with in this article after looking through all the research. I love that. <laughs> that just made me like so proud to be a family physician. <laughs> so 
thank you for that. I'm like, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Yes. But it is very true. I mean, I think that, you know, we can get into as physicians, for those of you who are on the patient realm of this and are used to seeing your physician in the clinic, and you may be wondering, you know, why does mine feel like a robot? And we can get into that space where it's just the everyday. And maybe we do need a little bit of stepping back and remembering that this is all big picture, right? That this is about treating the whole human and that we are really good at that. I think oftentimes we see that more often, obviously in family medicine. For me, you know, when I look at my patient relationships over the years on my new podcast, I can't tell you how many of these episodes have come up where I have just old patients have come through my mind over and over and over again. And you do notice that beautiful connection that you have. But I can't tell you on on two hands how many times I talked about spirituality with them in my practice. And if they brought it up, I was comfortable discussing it, but I wasn't comfortable bringing it up. And I think it's exactly what you said. We need a little bit of space to take a step back when you have that moment like you had in COVID where you're the only person this person has seen today. I had a child in the hospital recently and everything was done right for him. But I told my husband when we left, I said, I feel like had we not been there, maybe no one would really have talked to him much today, you know, because of that space where you you take a moment back and realize it is the whole human right in front of you, right? So when you look at this, you share in your article about anxiety and depression and those sorts of disease processes as well. Is there research around those topics that you've found to be helpful in terms of integrating the spiritual assessment? There were a few review articles um, that I found helpful and, and really had an association of spiritual health and their health outcomes with regard to chronic diseases. So cardiovascular disease was mentioned specifically in one of the uh, uh, in one of the reviews. I would say the actual numbers that that support that are uh, still still many questions in my mind about how you can connect directly uh, based on the questions you're asking the patient and then looking at the health outcomes. But I think there was something unique about this update in particular, been 10 years since the last one, that more of the literature was starting to to make those associations between uh, spiritual health and their overall health outcomes when it comes to chronic diseases. And some of the latest uh, literature, this goes back to 2019, was starting to say that instead of the usual points where we're asking patients really in crisis when they're in the hospital about, you know, can you tell me some of your, some of your uh, either spiritual preferences, or can you tell me about uh, your sources of hope, um, rather than waiting till they're in the hospital to ask those questions? asking them earlier in the disease process at different stages along, for example, COPD was one of the articles that had asked as, as it starts to advance, trying to bring this into the conversation. And where that made a big difference for me was I teach the geriatrics uh, rotation in our residency program. And uh, one of the things that I talk about a lot with the residents is uh, looking for opportunities to specifically talk about advanced directives. And so as I thought about how to have that advanced directive conversation, I also saw an opportunity with the way the research was demonstrating in the uh, spiritual assessment article that um, thinking from a physician standpoint, as chronic diseases are progressing and you're thinking about when to to initiate the topic of an advanced directive can also be a time to bring up spiritual assessment, uh, especially as patients are looking for uh, ways to cope 
with uh, advancing disease progress. I agree with you. I think that, you know, there will always be gaps in the literature. And that was one of the questions that I kind of wanted and wanted to ask you to address, because, you know, when you look at that, it, it's a kind of always going to be a side note. We can't find a number to support it <laughs> other than just kind of end of life care. But it's it's more of a quality of life as well, right, as the quantity of life and the strength of your relationship with your physician, as you said earlier, you know, having that fully being fully supported. If you could, you know, pick spots where, you know, the big next research study would be in the spiritual assessment, what would that be for you? Boy, I I am excited about this topic. And for me personally, this doing the research on this topic led to me asking some deeper questions about my practice, but also personally, uh, my own meaning and purpose. And uh, one of the things over the past couple of years that, that I've gotten involved in professionally was um, Integrative Health Institute that started up at yeah, Utica University. And some of the questions that come from the conferences and and, and gatherings uh, regarding uh, integrative health have helped me to put the spiritual assessment in a different understanding of practice um, and recognizing that and modalities of integrative health that um, might not have the same length of time of, of research that we see in journals. There's certainly a long, a long time span of integrative health practices for humans and trying to bring in all the evidence base that my uh, med school uh, and, and just physician training has brought to that. But so looking at it from a, a scientist's point of view, but also recognizing that in many cases, these can work wonders for the patient. And, and being open to what a spiritual assessment means in that practice, but also incorporating other modalities into how to meet a patient where they are and offer them something that can improve their health. Oh, I'd love to, if you can share with us, what are the modalities you like? I know I saw in your article kind of, you had even in there um, imagination as well as meditation, prayer. I mean, you're yeah. speaking my language on this because yeah. I love this this idea of just really capturing treating the whole human how are you able to integrate that into your practice i I have personally spoken at the integrative health institute on spiritual assessment and medicine and music and so looking at things like music therapy and how that's applied and so that's where i've done my own research but just from a, a, a curious colleague point of view, I have gone to multiple talks on Reiki, uh, for instance, multiple talks on acupuncture and different kinds of five element acupuncture. And I have learned a great deal about how that uh, that can make a difference uh, to our patients. Oh, yeah. We're getting ready. My, my niece is here and we're going to do some yoga videos for my ladies as well. So I'm similar to you. I was very I'm a third generation physician have very traditional views on medicine and weight loss. Obesity medicine is what kind of took me further and further and further down this path. And for me, my ladies did a 40 day sugar fast, which was actually a spiritual fast. And I was a little hesitant at first because I was like, "Eh, this is a little spiritual for me. Right. But the people who suddenly who didn't want to give up sugar could give up sugar with no problem. Right. And so it's amazing where when we add in higher passion, higher purpose, higher health, things like even, you know, the obesity medicine world, I'm kind of a, a stickler to not, you know, we, we do have some magic shots coming down the pike. Right. But I'm, I'm a stickler to, those are just 
a tool. The real tool is getting healthy around that. And all of that, I think spirituality, your spiritual assessment, do you have a preference? You had kind of given two different mnemonics and different questions. I like the hope one. And I fully like plan to integrate that with my ladies as we look more down this path. And I think I shared that kind of even on my previous podcast. Do you use those kind of more proactively now in your practice? I think I use them primarily as teaching tools, but they're a great way to start the conversation. Um, what I really try to convey to to my residents, for example, is that really getting to know your patients is the most important thing. And once you get to know your patients, you know when it's the right time to, mm-hmm. to go into the realm of advanced directives, spiritual assessment. But it takes time to develop that relationship to, to really... Uh, get the answers that are meaningful in these questions. But I think they're great tools, uh, especially for somebody who is not comfortable yet approaching these topics, uh, to think about how to word the questions. And for me, the open invite mnemonic is really just a reminder of that it's okay to be open and invite the patient to talk about this. Um, That is a great reminder to me of, of not thinking about what exact question I need to ask, but just to be open to the idea of this conversation. And then the hope mnemonic was has been a longstanding, goes back to 2001, longstanding medical training tool that really came from an American Phys- Family Physician article that I think gives a little bit more structure to the questions, but also leaves it very open to interpretation, when, especially when the first word, rather than bringing up spirituality or religion or a faith background, is about sources of hope, um, which which can be very open to interpretation for the patient. Might also, in practice, lead to some difficulty and in, in, in the patient say, well, what exactly are we talking about here, doc? Um, but that's why I think it's so important for us to develop that relationship before we really bring these questions to the forefront of the conversation. Yet I think the tools are still valuable just, just to get some practice in because practice is, is really uh, is the key to it. Yeah, you're right. Because I think of them, if you're putting them in, you know, having your nurse do a questionnaire, people are probably like, why are you you going to tell me something I don't know right now, doctor? Like, you know, they're going to write a one liner versus if you're sitting there having a really open conversation. The question in the hope mnemonic that really like hit my brain when I, where do you turn for comfort? And I'm like, my ladies choose food, (laughs) you know, and that really kind of opened it up to me because as you go back to really the foundation of who we are as humans, right? As you shared to begin with, our passion and our purpose, can this open space for just having a more passionate, purposeful experience of our lives, can that be part of your healthcare treatment, right? I love that idea. If you were a physician who's kind of new to this and they're like, this sounds really cool. I love the idea, but I'm really uncomfortable I I know you just shared kind of just picking a time, getting to know your patient. What would you tell them in terms of what has made you feel successful with doing it in your experience? I think the most important thing is meeting patients where they are. So where I found the most success in this, actually in home visits, uh, I I find it to be a a great opportunity. And I I realize that is a pretty small in on the number of uh, physicians now who do home visits, but it's still something that we we teach our residents and I've gone on um, home visits with our residents. But that idea of meeting patients where they are, uh, I think is, is the most important concept in developing the relationship. And the questions in the spiritual assessment really get to the foundation 
of, of who they are, how they might view their health in, in the context of their spirituality. It may change uh, some of the responses that they have for an advanced directive, for instance, when they think about um, any life-sustaining procedures that they want done, especially if they have a an advancing chronic disease, just asking them the questions on the five wishes, for example, without addressing a spiritual assessment, may you may be you may be missing something in how they achieve the the reasoning for their advanced directive. Um, or if they get to the point where they have a DNR, you may be missing something in the reasoning for why they are choosing that DNR without addressing this. That's very true, especially when you think of the complicated relationships that develop where the family's in, the family's out, and you kind of feel like people are pushing them one way or another, but you don't you're not really understanding it. So taking that space back. I love that you shared at the home too, because it, it's kind of like picturing taking them out, out of the healthcare system, right? It's like taking them into a neutral, comfortable place for them to have a discussion like this versus the place where they're like in, you know, in your spot, getting their blood pressure checked. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And I find, on the, on the other hand, where we so often use this and where there's even questionnaires, as you brought up earlier, it's it's in the acute hospital setting. Right. Um, that is often when we're facing those end-of-life questions. And in my experience, it's time where the whole team is sitting down with the family. And often, I, I make, it, make it clear from the start, would you like a chaplain? to join us for this conversation. And I have had chaplains join for that conversation with the family when they're getting to the point about decision-making for a patient who's not able to speak for themselves in that moment, for example. Yeah, that's a good additional resource. If you have a patient, if you were talking to a patient and they're like, I really like Dr. Kuckel's approach. I feel like if he was my doctor, I could totally talk to him, but my doctor is not how would you recommend them kind of addressing this to their physician so that it it does, I just keep coming back to the word authentic connection, but it creates a space for connection with their physicians yeah. that maybe they're more open to and their physician is open to. They just don't, neither of them have broached past that. Right. I, I think that when I, when getting back to the beginning of this, when you're asking me about the context of, of even choosing to research this, and, um, it was, it was a patient approaching me saying, you know, will you pray with me? That, that really was uh, a light bulb moment for me that, that for the patient to ask me that, what, what was I missing in, in, in my development or relationship with the patient to, to get to that point? I'm, I'm glad he felt the need to do that, um, but might I have had an opportunity to ask questions earlier that would have made the patient feel more comfortable, especially in such a stressful um, uh, and uncertain time as when COVID had this patient uh, in the hospital. I think it's important on both sides of the relationship to, to make space. So there may be times where patients feel um, that it, it is it is a very important part of their decision-making for their health. And I, I hope that we we make them feel comfortable in presenting it. I want to encourage patients to do that with their physicians, but also recognize not everybody may be comfortable addressing this. So it would give an opportunity for the physician to be able to say just that. I'm not, I'm not comfortable addressing this, but I will find you resources to do it. That's why we have chaplains that are so involved in the healthcare system. But it also depends on the particular spiritual needs of the patient. 
some physicians may not be aware of resources for whatever those needs are. And that that can be some of the difficulty in navigating this space with the patient. But again, I come back to that point. It's still the foundation of the relationship. And that that's what drives us as family physicians. Yeah, I think for me, when I look back at why I wouldn't have had that discussion, it felt like it would have been me kind of using my space of authority to try to do something that I'm not an authority on, right? Mm -hmm. So I love your point of saying we do have resources outside of that. You know, I didn't want to mess it up per se. Like, you know, what if I said a prayer and said a wrong word? And, And I think maybe just being open about that, as you said, just open in this communication of, well, I, I'm not, you know, I don't want to use the wrong words. I don't want to mess this moment up for you. But noticing that, you know, as you quoted in, in your article, physicians, many, many patients, and I can't remember the exact statistic, but they want us to address it. And mm-hmm. we're not. And, and especially you saw it so obvious in COVID, you know, I wasn't in the hospital in COVID, but I can only imagine what that was like, you know, and being willing to just somebody open that space and stand up kind of naturally, authentically as who we're allowed to be in those moments, mm-hmm. just as humans, right? Right. I want to ask you one last area, because I know in your article, you talked about substance abuse. And I, this part has really been of interest to me specifically with weight loss and obesity mm-hmm. medicine, because, you know, whether you consider food an addiction or not, or being possible in that area, I've always been amazed by how many of our 12-step programs say higher power. And I feel like that is a space in in kind of dancing on the medical realm. It's not exactly in the medical realm, but kind of dancing there, right? Where there are so many large studies to support that, you know, something like an AA or a Narcotics Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous would be willing to say, we got to give this to a higher power. And it hasn't been I don't think for the most part, I've never heard a lot of reports of saying it was um, ostracizing or those sorts of things. You know, in terms of, of literature and those sorts of things, have you seen anything around weight loss or anything along that realm that might be way more specific? Or what is your experience in terms of the research around using spirituality in addictions? I think this plays out really well in the long term, you know, in therapy, but even in the medical setting with depression and anxiety and all of that. I... I think it's an excellent follow-on question to what I was studying in the spiritual assessment, but specific to substance use and obesity, I don't have a lot of research to to back up a a direct answer to your question. I do think in looking at the recommendations for it, I can certainly see the connection in my mind for why that connection to a higher power uh, would be important in the ability to address addiction, but also make space for the the idea that uh, I I don't have a lot of direct evidence for it. Um, and it's one that I would say it would probably do a, a, a whole separate review article just for that, uh, each of those topics on substance use and obesity. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm in for it if you are. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's definitely something that has, it's it's gone beyond piquing my interest. It's it's something that I realized there is a a whole world to explore in this, uh, and and it's difficult for us to to put numbers behind it. The numbers you you were talking about um, those ranged depending on the question uh, from seventy to eighty percent of when patients felt the the desire to be asked about a spiritual assessment. 
and in what context with their outpatient setting or inpatient setting. A lot of it's survey-based uh, questions, but boy, wouldn't it be interesting to look at programs that do talk about a connection to a higher power in, in addiction versus those that do not? And what are the different outcomes? Um, there might be some numbers behind that. Looking at um, programs that are addressing obesity and and thinking of the same concepts, uh, how would you how would you structure a study or would you do it retrospectively and look at those who've been through it and say, okay, we, this wasn't something, this wasn't a question that we asked up front in this, but it's something that we could look at the outcomes and say, for those programs that involve connection to a higher power or, or had some reference to spirituality in the, the, the treatment for these conditions, what were the outcomes? And, and was there a significant difference? It'd be a good question. And that's, that's kind of how my curious mind works. I just don't have the answers right now. Me too. My curious mind is very much there because <laughs> I think it's so interesting. You know, I do the doctor in me loves this. And so I always say, this is my doctor brain. This is my coach brain. And this is my faith brain. Mm -hmm. And my goal is to try to start integrating them all together <laughs> instead of one. Right. But, you know, even in the weight loss realm, I'm so intrigued by that because we get such specific numbers with things like medications. You know, this isn't obviously this realm isn't funded by a pharmaceutical industry. So it's very difficult to, you know, figure out how to get that research done. But I agree with you. I think it would be an amazing thing to look at, especially as we look going forward in the kind of wellness realms of how do we help, you know, integrative medicine and those sorts of areas of helping people just live well live well as well. Yeah, I, I think there's an opportunity, especially in, in the work that you're doing, because um, thinking about this from a wellness perspective, a lot of the research I noticed, you know, this goes back to the 1960s, a lot of the spiritual assessments that grew, there were over 40 of them. In the last 10 years, since the prior edition of this article was released in 2012, there, there were really no new assessments in the area. You know, most of the assessments were that they had been put into place quite a while ago and they and they grew out of hospice care they grew out of psychiatry pastoral care chaplains that's where most of these questions came from but if you think about it in the wellness space right now i think it, that there are whole new questions that we might be asking as we develop these relationships with our patients to address their needs yes i agree I'm super interested in it. And I just love, I, I just want to thank you again, literally for that article, because it came, you know, I think oftentimes we spend so much time researching things and maybe they feel just like maybe a little bit on the fringe of traditional medicine, not outside of it, but just kind of like, you know, writing that line of like, I'm not talking about a number here. I'm talking about a human here. Right. And, and that's where it gets a little bit, I think, gray zone. And when your article came out, I was like, this is exactly what I needed to feel comfortable assessing this in a different way and not feel like I had to now define myself in a new category or something like that. Just because I was so closed off to it, I needed to see that there's really support here for it. And it, I felt I was seeing it anecdotally, but I didn't know the research behind it or the space to be able to feel free as a physician to start discussing it. And your article was really pivotal for me in that with my ladies. And so I thank you for that. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with me. I, I did. I was curious to know. Uh, and when you reached out and said that this, this did have meaning for you, I was wondering what exactly that was. And I appreciate you sharing that with me. It's, uh, it's good to hear that. I, I, 
put in um, many, many hours, many conversations and trying to, to find the right way to address this article in particular. And uh, I remember doing this while I was a fellow at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, in the Faculty Development Fellowship. And this was probably the, the project that I worked on most throughout that year. And I have a lot of memories of the conversations. And I remember conversations about... Um, Wow, you've chose quite a topic to address um, in a in a major uh, family physician journal. How are you going to critically evaluate the research on it? And that was probably my biggest challenge initially. But really, the challenge for me that that came in the end was how am I going to connect this with my colleagues? And that gets to the point that I was talking about: how do I start the article? And I and I think for family physicians, we can all connect on the relationship with the patient uh, is as a major driving factor to what brings us meaning and purpose in medicine. And I wanted to connect it to that. And for me, it has very much led to greater meaning and purpose in the way that I practice, teach, and, and lead in medicine. And so when I hear what you're sharing with me, it's a, a bit of an affirmation that I'm glad that I decided to pursue the subject because it not only helped me personally, but to hear that it allowed you to explore this more uh, in your practice uh, says a lot more about um, the multiplicative effect of putting this out there. And uh, the more we do that as physicians, I think it's good for us to ask these questions. And I think it's good for us to connect with our patients in new ways. It is so important for us as physicians, I think. And yeah, I, you just nailed my experience 100%. Like we love family medicine because we love the relationships. You know, we can get behind the science of the numbers and we can get behind all of that and we want to be evidence-based, but we also know that there's a human standing in front of us, right? And I think that that's where we might feel a little bit like, and we need these kind, this kind of research and we need these kinds of articles to be able to say, hey, there's studies here that show, you know, if you want to, I like to be evidence-based. I always say, I try to be very evidence-based in everything I do. And so in that, when we see that the studies support it, it gives us a little bit of freedom to be human again, too. <laughs> and your years of research comes on the, like, it's, I always love that idea that like, we just build on each other. Right. And and your years of research and your fellowship was helpful to me. And now I'm going to integrate it with my ladies and figure out how we can keep going forward with it. Yeah, I, I listened to um, a couple of different episodes of your podcast before for this interview. <laughs> and and uh, I, I want to thank you because it was uh, it was something I got to learn, especially when you had an episode on fasting and and you put the spiritual assessment in that context i i thought boy it really got my brain going about my own my own journey right now with uh with my weight and and thinking about uh, okay is is intermittent fasting something that i want to consider and what 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 is the reason for that what's the evidence and then what is the motivation behind it and what is it that i can connect with to make that happen um and and i was I started looking up more and more articles to your point that you mentioned earlier about um, spirituality and fasting. And I couldn't find a resource that I really felt like that's something I really want to read. So if you have uh, something that you can share with me, I'd be very open to, uh, to learning more. It's something that's really um, got me curious now. Yes, yes, I love it. I mean, the fasting inter overlap is huge. 
I actually did a thing. Um, I researched fasting for my ladies and we talked about ethical, spiritual, or health wise and the different benefits to compare. And it's really interesting because it comes down to very similar. It really does. (laughs) It comes down to similar, but also your passion and purpose behind it, right? I think what I noticed with so many of my ladies was when they were doing it just for weight loss, it was the number one question when they would hit their goal weight was, well, fasting obviously is the first thing to go. And I would say, no, it's good for your health. There are not studies that support it being bad for your health. It can be a long-term tool, but it was like, Oh, no, this is just a weight loss tool. But if they think of it for higher spirituality, then they're like, oh, okay, this is something I want to do going forward. And it just shifts that whole mindset behind it. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the motivational interviewing techniques. Uh, And so um, I, you know, I'm trying to achieve a a greater uh, ability or uptake of the patient to, uh, I I think of that in terms of smoking cessation, for example, you know, how, how confident are you on a scale of one to 10 in, in stopping smoking? Um, I wonder if that confidence would rise with a, a spiritual assessment to back it up. I'm telling you, I think you could use it in a lot of areas. And I think giving what I really, I really see the space in the way you addressed it to give physicians some confidence in figuring out a way to address it, you know, versus those of us who felt like, well, that's just an outlier way to look at it, or that's not something that's really well supported. That would be something that, you know, maybe somebody who's not, not, you know, doing this the old fashioned way would do it. Yet this is like, no, we see this, we see that space. And so I just appreciate it. Yes, maybe we can we can figure out something fun for the future. But I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I, I, when I first started this podcast, it's funny, I said, I'm going to have a ton of experts on. I rarely have experts on now. because I'm like, there's not a lot of people I found aligned with things I want to learn more about. And I just wanted to learn more from you on this spiritual assessment. So I appreciate it. I know my listeners will love it too. So thank you for giving us your time. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to, uh, Staying in touch and and seeing how your uh, podcasts and your websites uh, continue to develop. I know that uh, my my own my wife has been uh, reaching out and learning about uh, how you connect and what you have to offer. I think it's a wonderful thing, and and the fact that you are incorporating some of these ideas on spiritual assessment, I think it says a lot about how you're connecting with your patients. So thank you. Thank you. If you loved today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend who needs to hear it too. Leave me a review and click subscribe to get the latest updates on all my new podcast episodes. Ready to reach your healthy weight goals and drop the endless diet cycle? Head on over to emilyvinzantmd.com and learn more about working with me in Dr. Emily's School of Weight Loss, my virtual weight loss coaching program. The link is in my show notes. 